Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. Amen. As you find your seat, go ahead and remain standing with me this morning as we read the word of God. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. Not just sometimes, all the time. Amen. Man, uh, you know, December, December is tough, man. December is a tough month because we're so busy and we're so tired and we've got so many things to do. And sometimes we don't even know where to get started. And, 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 then, and then at church, you know, you got, you got so many people sick. There's a lot of people sick. There's a lot of people out of town. And then you combine all that together and it's just like, man, uh, it, it, it just it feels different. Amen. It feels different than a, than a Pentecost Sunday, right? Where the, the house is full and everybody's expectant. But the same God that was here Pentecost Sunday, the same God that was here 2,000 years ago in the upper room is here in the room this morning. Amen. You just have to come with that expectant heart that God is going to move. I was telling God this morning, God, I don't want there to be any excuse for anybody to walk out empty. Because the Holy Spirit has descended and he has made himself available. If, there is, if you walk out empty, it's because you didn't want it. All right, let's do it, baby. Come on, come on. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, 1 through 15, we're going to read. <clears throat> when you have it, say amen. You know how I, I, I remember, I, I, I memorized the, the, the major prophets. It's, it's by this little acronym, IJLED. It's just the way that I, that I, that I remember it. IJLED, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So there you go. You're welcome. I just led. So Jeremiah, are you there? 29, 1 through 15. It says this. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is a letter. Verse 4, let's skip down to verse 4. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I just got to stop right there for a moment because God just spoke to me. When you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. When you look for him just like a little bit, like when I tell Layla to go find her shoes and she just kind of just glances at the room and says, I didn't see them. It's because she didn't look. When you actually seek intently, you will find. He says, seek me with all your heart and you will find me. That is not the message this morning, but I had to say that. 
that. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you've spoken over your servant, my God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be on my lips this morning as, as, as this word is spoken by you, my God. And I pray, Father, that we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, my God, that we're not just comfortable, my God, just being entertained, my God. That's not why we're here this morning. We want to be changed, Father. We want to be transformed, Father God. We want to be filled, my God. We want to be convicted, my God. We want to be corrected, my God. We want to be edified, my God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do that here in Jesus' mighty name as we hear your word. Amen. Amen. Why don't you be seated this morning? Amen. <clears throat> this letter is, uh, is said to have been written about two years after the kingdom of Judah went into exile. They were, ta- they were overtaken by the Babylonians. Um, and so, you know, here we have, we have the people of God, kind of, they're back into captivity, right? This is after God drove them out of Egypt, after the Red Sea miracle, God delivered his people out of Egypt. Now they're back here in captivity, only under a different oppressor. And when you read the Bible, you see that a lot with the history of Israel. They have these moments of progress, and then they have these moments of setbacks, right? And that's how life is. You have moments of advancement, and you have moments of setbacks. But when you zoom out, and when you look at the scriptures, we always see God working through every setback. He's working through it. He's working through every moment of regression. He's not just going to leave his people. He's not going to abandon his people. It's just not always going to be advancement. And I know that that's the popular American evangelical message, prosperity and, and, and good things and, and wealth and riches and blessings. But Christ didn't come to give us the American dream. He didn't come to give us a home. He didn't come to give us a new job. He came to give us eternal life, right? And so this is why you're going to go through seasons of ups and downs. You're going you're gonna to have these roller coasters of, of seasons and, and you're going to struggle financially sometimes. You might have a, a family situation. Uh, sicknesses are real. Death is real. But the one thing that never changes is the presence of God in the heart of every believer. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the future is just gloom and doom and you just got to suck it up. It, it, it just means that whatever season God has for you, and I want you to hear me this morning. I, if you can hold, go into the restroom, hold it this morning, okay? Whatever season God has for you, it should not be wasted because you're only looking at the future. Because so much of life and so much of purpose is wasted because we set our eyes on things to come, never on the here and now. Man, as Christians, we're always talking about promises, always talking about promises, always looking for the next promise. It's like, we're never satisfied. Once we get one promise, we're like, what's the next promise? We always want the next promise. But the very fact that you're sitting here in this room, worshiping God is because the promise was fulfilled in Christ Jesus to bring you life. You're, you're, you're a walking fulfillment of a promise. And I want to tell you today that today matters more than tomorrow. I'm going to say that again. Today matters more than tomorrow because you're not living in tomorrow. You're living in today. What you do today will matter tomorrow. And what I love about this passage is that it's a direct message from the voice of God to the people of God living in captivity. And you know what he says? He says, live your life. He says, build houses. Live in the houses. 
He says, take wives, take wives for your, your sons, give your daughters over to marriage, settle down. He says, seek the welfare of this city because it will be your welfare. God is telling his people to make home the place they have made their enemy. You know, I've, I've, I've counseled people before who were just kind of going through a, a mess, man. And, and my heart breaks sometimes when I'm in my office, I'm hearing people, you know, tell me the things that they're going through. I sympathize with them. I break with them. Sometimes I, I, I cry and I, I, I try not to cry because I don't want them to see me crying. But like their stories are, are, are heartbreaking. People go through some real stuff. And it's like a lot of times I feel like they expect me to answer the question, why? Why am I going through this, Pastor? And, and I don't have that insight. I don't know. But a lot of times when I kind of feel, when I have like that discerning spirit, sometimes I ask the question, could it be that God is doing this? Could this be God? In Jeremiah's day, and God rebukes him. They're giving the people of Israel false hope. They're saying that, that their time in Babylon is only going to be very, very short. And God is on his way to deliver his people and rescue his people very, very soon. It, it probably sounded very spiritual, but what do I say about things that sound spiritual? You can sound spiritual, not biblical. So Jeremiah comes with this word from God and he's like, no, 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 wait, live your life as you wait for the promise. And that's what I entitled the message today. Live in the waiting. Live in the waiting. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to live in the waiting. The waiting period is supposed to be short. It's supposed to be something that just passes by. It's supposed to be a transitional period to something better that's coming. It's not meant to be permanent. I'll stay here for a little bit, maybe a year, maybe two years, but I ain't trying to be here forever because it's a waiting moment. I, one of the greatest financial regrets of my life, man, is selling our first home. We were married. When we got married, uh, Melissa and I, uh, we bought this cute little house, and it was, it was very outdated, um, and it wasn't in the greatest area, but it was our house. And, you know, we were 24 years old. Had, having bought our first house, it was a blessing. But for me, from day one, it was always just temporary. And I remember saying, we'll just live here for a few years, and then we'll upgrade. And so because we had that mentality, because that was our plan, we never truly made it our home. We never really decorated it the way that we wanted to. We didn't really buy super nice furniture. We, we did some updating, but, but nothing really to, uh, to make it our own. Because for me, not for my wife, my wife was smarter than I was. But for me, I was like, this is just, this, we're just passing through. It was just a waiting moment. And so while we're here, I'm going to work on my credit. I'm going to save up a little bit more money. And then we're going to buy something better. And this is what upsets me. I'm going to give you some numbers. We bought the house for $75,000. Today is worth about $250,000. We bought it on a 15-year note. We would have been four years away from having a paid-off house. Our mortgage was $975 a month. We could have been renting it right now for $1,700 a month. But we sold it to make way for bigger and better when all along, if I had just lived patiently in the moment, if I had just made home the place that God had me in and been a good steward of the season that he had me in, I would have been bringing honor and glory to God. But because I was impatient, I acted outside of the will of God. No one likes to live in that place they believe to be just a waiting period. And this is where we make mistakes. And we try to take matters into our own hands to make the promises of God come quicker. Remember Abraham and, and Sarah, right? Abraham, uh, 
he had this promise over his life. And then but because God was taking a little bit, Sarah says, maybe the way that we get to the promise is through the servant Hagar. Maybe if you just have a child with a Hagar, that will move this promise along. And, and we know how that, that turned out. There's a lot of family drama. Nobody likes to wait. Because the longer we wait, the older we get, the more gray hairs you get, or the more bald you get. And sometimes, you know, just it, it, sometimes life just happens. And then, and then it's like, what if I continue living? And then by the time the promise arrives, I don't even want it anymore. And so we always just want the thing that we're believing for and praying for right now. God, give it to me right now. And we don't like to wait. And 70 years, that's, that's a long time. That's a long time for the people of God to be in captivity. That's, that's a lifetime. For some people, they were going to die in Babylon. And if they were young enough, they were only going to be old enough to see maybe the last bit of the promise of God. I suppose that, that for some people receiving this message, it probably wasn't very encouraging. You know, they, they, they probably got all hyped up when the false prophets were coming and saying, hey, your return to Jerusalem is imminent and, and Babylon is going to be destroyed and they're going to fall. And God's like, no, nope, it's going to be 70 years. Might as well get comfy because you're going to be in Babylon for a long time. And I see a little bit of a parallel here um, in Acts, you know, in Acts chapter one where Jesus is being taken up into heaven, right? And, and the disciples, they're, they're wondering when Jesus is going to restore the kingdom of, of Israel. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time. It's your, it's your job to be my witnesses to the end of the earth, right? Just, just wait. And while you wait, do the work of God. While you wait, do the work of God. You're not just waiting. You're working, you're cultivating, you're, you're investing, you're building. There is a process, there is an action that goes with the waiting period. And, and you know, as I was thinking about the many biblical stories, I, I realized that so much is just waiting and working. That's all it ever is, waiting and working. Noah waited decades for the flood to come. Abraham waited 100 years for his son. Joseph waited decades for his, for, uh, to be reunited with his brothers in Egypt. The Israelites waited 40 years in the, desert, in the desert before going to the promised land. David waited 15 years before becoming king. Now the Israelites are in captivity, waiting 70 years. I'm starting to think that God doesn't call people to the promise. He calls them to a process. I don't think God calls us to a promise. I think he calls us to a process. If we could be good stewards of the process, then of course... We're going to be good stewards of the promise. This is why generally you have to go through life, right? Before getting to eternal life. Can you love God here on earth while there's evil, while there's, while there's, while there's storms, while, while, while there's corruption? Can you live and love God here on earth? Because if you can do that here, it's going to be real easy to do it in heaven when everything's great. This, this, is, why, this is why the promises of God, they come with stipulations, they don't, always, they don't come with a roadmap. I wish they came with a roadmap. But they, they come with expectations. If you want to be the recipient of a promise, that means you have to be a partaker in the process. You have to work. Somebody say work. You got to work through the process. You got to work through the process. You can't just jump on the bandwagon last minute because you're starting to see the fulfillment of that promise unfold. You had nothing to do with the process. The people in Noah's day, they didn't build the ark. 
In fact, they laughed at Noah. They, they mocked Noah. And when the rains came, I bet you some of them were like, what if that crazy guy Noah was right? Maybe we can catch a ride with him. No, you, you weren't a partaker in the process. You can't jump on last minute to the promise when you had nothing to do with the process. And there's a day coming where, where people are going to see the glory of God fall from the clouds, but they had nothing to do with preparing themselves for the kingdom of God. They're going to miss it. Everybody's going to see the fulfillment of the promise. Everybody, every eye shall see, every knee will bow. Everybody's going to see the fulfillment of the promise, but because so many of them didn't go through the process, they're not going to be recipients of it. Hmm. You were called to a process. And I don't know what your process is, but you were called to a process. In the Old Testament, the, 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 uh, the people of God, they were called to the process of, of sanctification, of holiness. They were to be set apart because the promise was, I will be your God and you will be my people. That was the promise. And this is why so many times when the people of God abandoned the process, when they worshiped other gods, when they became rebellious, when they were disobedient, God gave them over to their own desires. We're always so fixated on the promise that we forget about the process. With me today? And how many of you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us are, we just can't wait to get out of the process. That's all we want to do. Oh, you can raise your hand if you, if you want to be honest. God, take me out of this process, Lord. I just, I want out. I want to move on to bigger and better blessings and the promises. And when all we're focused on is the process, can I tell you that that, that affects your relationship with God? Because it, it affects your worship. It affects your worship. You know, it, it can be very difficult to worship God in a season of hardship. Very hard. And you, know, like you have to really have a solid relationship with God to, to worship him in a storm. And I'm, I believe many of us here have that. But for a lot of people, depending on what you're going through, it can be so hard to give God everything in worship. See or no? I mean, there, there's times where I'm, I'm going through something and, and I have to come in you know, to church because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just here to I'm not just here to, to, to worship, but I'm, I'm here to, to, to bring a message. And sometimes it's, it's so hard with my mind clouded, thinking about the things that I'm going through. It's so hard to just forget about it and set it aside and say, God, you are good. Let me worship you with everything I have. I try. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and going through something, something huge and, and something heartbreaking and something that is just really just weighing you down, it is hard to worship in those moments. It's very easy to pray, though. It's very easy to pray when you're going through something. And, and, and maybe you think that your prayer is the same as your worship, and they're not necessarily the same thing. You can pray without necessarily worshiping God. There's been seasons in my life where all I sought were the hands of God, the provision of God, and I prayed for help every single day. Lord, help, help, help out of this. I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this. Help me. And there's nothing wrong with seeking refuge. The Bible tells us to do these things, but I was constantly just asking God for something until one day it was like my spirit longed for something more than I hadn't been given to it in a long time because all I was doing was asking God for his hands and not seeking his glory. 
And I strongly believe that it was the Holy Spirit just convicting me because I got really good at asking for things. And I hadn't just stopped to worship God for everything that I have and everything that he is. It's hard to be grateful for things when all you're doing is looking for an exit. It's hard to be grateful for things when all you're looking for is a way out of what, uh, of what you're currently in. It affects your worship until you learn to be, like Paul says, content in every situation. Paul says, I have learned how to have and I have learned how not to have. And the constant is God. He is always good. That's why we say it at the end of every service. God is good all the time, not just sometimes, not just while you're breathing, not just while you have some money in your bank account, not while there's just food on the table all the time. He's good all the time. And I want you to. I want you to think about what it must have been to be an Israelite. Real quick, put yourself in the Israelites' shoes or sandals or whatever they wore. These were people, crocs. <laughs> the Israelites were people of, of promise. That's all they knew. Promise. My, my, my dad spoke this morning in a Spanish service and he talked about that. He talked about, uh, he talked about Gideon who, who questioned God. He said, God, where are the miracles we were promised? Where are the things that we were promised? For centuries, Israel, the people of God, have been people of the promise. They knew that it was through them that the Messiah would one day come. They knew that the throne of David would be established forever. These were people of promise. And now they've come full circle back into captivity. Think about that for a moment. Wouldn't you be questioning God? Wouldn't you be a little bit confused? And I, I just know that there were some preachers in Judah saying, this ain't the will of God. This ain't God. I know that there were some prophets saying Babylon is just the devil and she needs to be defeated. This, this is contrary to what God wants. And they're probably all rallying up all the Jews and everybody's getting excited and crunk because, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to get out of Babylon real quick. And everybody's having these spiritual moments. And, and, and then Jeremiah's like, yep, yeah, nope, it was the Lord who sent you here. It was God who did this? Oh man, I feel for Jeremiah, man. It must've been hard for him to deliver such an unpopular word to Judah because it's so easy for preachers to preach popular. Man, it's so easy. That's what gets the amens. That's what keeps people in, 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 in the seats. When we preach popular, when you preach unpopular, it turns people off. But Jeremiah is going to tell it like it is because he is a true prophet from the living God. And he says, this is, this is God who sent you into exile while you're telling everybody that, that it's not the will of God. God actually sent you here. Mm. It's like if, if Jeremiah were to come into this church and I were to give him the pulpit and say, hey, we want to welcome prophet Jeremiah here. He's, he's in the house and he gets the mic. And imagine him saying, thus says the Lord, Numa will shut its doors. How many of us? Yes, it'd be blasphemous. I'd take the mic back and be like, get behind me, Satan. You are not the prophet Jeremiah. Because hasn't he heard the promises that God has given to us? Hasn't, ha, hasn't he heard about the multiplication that is coming and the revival that is coming and the people who are going to be healed and the miracles that God is going to do? Hasn't he heard? What are you talking about? God is going to shut these doors. Mm. It's, it's easy to believe what we think is good. 
That's why I said earlier, when I tell people it might be God putting you through this, they look at me like I'm the devil and like I'm against them. But in reality, it could be that God is simply calling you to a process. And at first it might take you away from the promise. It might pull you in a different direction. But if you are faithful to the process, if you learn how to worship God in the process and in the storm and not just seek a way out all the time, God will continue to show up in your life. And some of us are in a season of waiting. And I hate waiting. I hate, I hate it. I hate waiting. I tell you all the time, if, if, if there's an option for a callback when I'm on hold with customer service, I'm going to take that every single time because I hate waiting. I hate it. I hate it. Sometimes I pass by McDonald's and I see like four cars there. I'm like, oh, it's too long. <laughs> I hate it. I'm a person that like, I want to, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. Let's hurry up. Get to the point. I, I hate, <laughs> I hate small talk. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Get to the point. Just get to the point. That, that's, if you're talking to me, get to the point. I hate waiting. And it's discouraging. It's discouraging when we see no indication that a promise is coming soon. You know, before the days that, that, that you could track packages you would, you would just look out the window, right? Where's Mr. Melman? He was your best friend, man, when he came. It's all you thought about. I just want my package to come. But even then, you had an estimated delivery date, right? With God, you don't always get that. Can I be real with you for a second? Some, sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes prophets, they give you a very precise date on when something is going to happen. Right? I've gotten many of those. And you're waiting for the day. By this time next year. By next week. By your next birthday. And, and when a prophet gives you a, a specific date, man, write it down. I, I know you write it down. I, I, you, you at least make a mental note of it. Because you are expecting that promise. But then sometimes the date comes. And the, pro, the promise hasn't arrived. And I've, I've, I've received a lot of those. And what do you, what am I supposed to think? What do you think? I'll tell you what I think, because you're not going to answer me. My first thought is maybe that wasn't God. Maybe they were speaking out of hype. Maybe they were speaking out of emotion. Maybe they, they spoke out of what they thought I wanted them to tell me. And then I'm like, all right, hold on, hold on. Let's not be that skeptical. I kind of checked the doubt a little bit and I said, okay, well, maybe, maybe they just messed up on the date. Maybe the Holy Spirit said December instead of what else sounds like December. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it's, it's pretty September. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And I try to give the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm going to leave some room for human error, but it's in these moments where we especially we get discouraged because we've been waiting all this time only to get to the date of arrival and the promise didn't arrive. Now, here, here's, here's something, just a thought, there's something to consider. I'm not going to defend every prophet who gives you a word that doesn't come to pass. Sometimes they're just wrong. Just like preachers, sometimes they say things that are biblically and theologically incorrect. Just like teachers, sometimes they teach you the wrong thing. It's not an excuse, but ministers are humans and they don't always get it right. Consider this for a moment. What if the prophetic word was from God, 
but it required a process that you refused to go through. Remember, remember I said earlier that, that the promise of God it, it sometimes comes with stipulations. If you are going to be the recipient of a blessing, it might mean that you have to work through the process. There is a part that we have to do, right? God, God works with his creation. When he gives you a promise, he calls you to that process. Your family will be sa- saved, declares the Lord. Anybody gotten that before? Your family will be saved. Your family will be sitting next to you here at church. Well, have you prayed for them? Have you invited them to church? You think the Holy Spirit is going to send them an invitation to church one day? Have you, have you spoken to them about your faith? No, that's awkward. Then you're not partaking in the process. Now, for many of you, maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, Pastor Ryan, I've done my part. I've, I've, I've done, I've, I've worked with God. I have prayed, I have believed, I have built a life around this, about, around his promise, and I still don't see the hand of God moving. See, th- this is, this, when, when we actually have gone through the process, and when we have been good stewards of the season that God has placed us in, and we still don't see God's faithfulness, that is really when it starts to get discouraging. Because, it's like, in these moments, we begin to remind God of, of the promises that he's made. Like, God, do you remember that thing that you said you were going to do? Remember when you said my family was going to be saved? I've, I've done my part. I've invited them to church many times. I've prayed for them every single day. I speak to them about my faith all the time. I, have, I see no indication that you're going to come up with your part. God, didn't you say I was going to be victorious? I've been doing the work. Didn't you say the church was going to grow? I've been doing everything I know to do because I believe in the word that you gave me. Why are the numbers decreasing? A lot of commentators believe that this was a time where Judah was giving up in hope in God. Because the promise seemed to be dead. That was it. There's no more throne. How How could David's throne be established forever when the people of God are being consumed by another. The promise seemed to be dead. Maybe God never said those things. Maybe there was no promise. Maybe we just believed what we wanted to believe and we convinced ourselves that that was God. A lot of times, I want you to hear this. A lot of times we make plans according to what God has promised. Hear that one more time. A lot of times we make plans according to what God has promised. I know I do. As a pastor, I I hold on to the many promises that he has made this church. And because, because of that, because of those promises, I have planned things that run parallel to those promises. God said that we're going to multiply. Okay. Let's get ready for the multiplication. Let's start, let's start thinking. Let's be ready. For when people come in in need of Jesus, let, let, let's be ready. When, when the multitudes come in, let's, let's be ready. Let's, let, let's set up camp now so we don't have to worry about it later. And that's hard to do sometimes. But I'm like, God, I've, I've done some things that probably seem very unnecessary for some small churches. But I did it because you said this was going to happen. I've made plans according to your promise. Because you have spoken uh, new, new people, new people coming to you in faith. So uh, a ministry full of new Christians 
We're planning a, a, a discipleship ministry in this church so that we can get ready for that. We have been creating outreach ministries so that we could better uh, serve our community in order to get ready for the multiplication that God has promised. That's what you do when you receive a word from God. I just talked about this. You prepare for the fulfillment of that promise. God promised you a good man. You better be going to church to find yourself a good man. You ain't going to find him in the club. (laughs) I hear that, Pastor. (laughs) God spoke ministry over your life. Like I know he has many of you. Prophetic ministry, pastoral ministry. You better be preparing right now in the word of God because I'll tell you what, I don't want to be ministered by somebody who doesn't know the word of God. You make plans according to the promise that God has given you. But here's the catch. You ready? You have to be willing for your plans to change. You have to be willing to let God mess up your plans. Some people hate change. My wife is among one of them. She hates, she hates changed plans. I can't, I, if I try to change up the plans last minute, I'm going to get, I'm going to get crucified. Like, and sometimes she's asking, what are we going to do today? And then she'll, she'll get upset with me because I take too long to tell her what we're going to do today. But she doesn't realize that that's a very stressful question for me because I have to make sure that I've got a rock solid plan. Like I got to go into prayer and like, what am I, what, what do we do? Because I got to make sure to not change these plans because I'm going to get on her bad side. Many of us don't like our plans to be messed with. I have, I have a lot of plans as, as a pastor. Sometimes they have to change. You know, and, and I hate that. I hate saying we're going to do one thing and then God's like, yeah, we're not, we're actually not going to do that. I hate that. And this is where it falls apart for so many of us because when we have a promise, we also have our plans attached to God's promise. And if our plans are messed up, like 70 years in Babylon absolutely messed up their plans, we think that it's because our plans are messed up that his promise is dead. And let me tell you, church, your plans don't determine the promises of God. Make your plans. That's good. Just don't treat them on the same level as God's promises. Because compared to God's promises, your plans are real cute. But stop trying to work it out for God. He knows what he's doing. This is why he says, for I know. What does he say? I know the plans that I have for you. I also know the plans you have for you, but yeah, we're not going to do that. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare. Plans for evil. Not like, it's not evil like you're interpreting, uh, interpreting it to be. You're interpreting it to be evil because of the process that you're in. But I have plans to give you hope and a future. Don't worry about your plans. Don't worry if your plans mess up because God's promise is still intact. Embrace the process, church. Embrace the process. Live as you wait, but always be ready to give up. Your plans for God's plans. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And I just, I I want to go. One last thing I want to look at. You're still with me, right? One last thing. Probably one of the hardest things that the Israelites had to do was pray for the welfare of their oppressors. Look at verse 7 one more time. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
How many of us have experienced seasons that we're just, we're ready to get out of. And all we have done is just made that season the antagonist. We've made the, we've made people the problem. We've made the place the problem. We've made the job the problem. If I just had a better job, we made the boss the problem. If I just had a better boss, we make the children, the family, the problem. All of my family was just more on board with what I'm with my dreams and my goals. We make everything the problem. Our ministry, we make that the problem. We have, we have made everything church and everyone, the enemy, but sometimes the people and the situations that you're praying against is actually what you're supposed to be praying for. Did you hear me? What are you praying against this morning? Who are you praying against this morning? What situation are you rebuking that God is saying you should be welcoming? You should be praying for that. Jesus says, you have heard it said, hate your enemy. It's a natural thing to do. The thing, the thing that causes you pain, the thing that causes you stress, the thing that causes you frustration, the natural thing to do is to hate it, to make it the enemy. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, hate your enemy. But I say, pray. Pray for your enemy. Pray for your oppressors. Pray for those who speak ugly against you. Pray for those who want to do harm to you. Pray for the enemy. When you pray against, you're just on the defensive all the time. God, take me out of this. God, I hate this. God, I'm tired of this. God, this is frustrating me. What, what if you just began to pray, God, give me wisdom to work through this. God, give me wisdom to work aside my enemy. Give me wisdom. Give me peace. Give me strength. Give me joy to withstand this unjoyful situation. Give me what I need to withstand my enemy. What if we prayed that way? God, teach me. Teach me something through this process. Because so many of us are just praying, God, get me out of this. Take me out of this. Take me out of this. Take me out of this. And sometimes when you're taken out prematurely, you never learn the lesson that God wanted you to learn. You never grow because in order to grow, you have to experience pain. You have to increase the threshold of your pain if you want to grow. 70 years in captivity. But my promise is still alive. My promise is still alive. But I'm calling you to a process. God is calling you to a process this morning. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what your process is. I don't know what... God has you in right now, but don't waste it. Don't waste it saying, God, just get me out of here. Because God might have you there for a purpose. I want you to stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Your promises are alive, my Lord. 
are not a God who would lie. You are a God who cares about his people. You are a God who has plans for his people. You are a God who has a purpose for your people. My God, I pray that we would open up our eyes to see you through the process, Lord. I pray that you give strength right now to those who are weak, Father. I pray that you give hope, my God, to those who are saying this is hopeless and I'm I'm never going to get out of this, Lord. I pray that you just, I pray that you, you just pour out your spirit over every, every person this morning. Because when we seek you, when we seek you, we will find you. When we seek you. When we just stop asking just for provision, when we just stop asking, God, take me out. When we seek you, when we, when we seek your glory, when we seek your face, my God, when we seek your will, my God, it will be revealed. Holy Spirit, descend on every person this morning. I want to make a call to these altars as we seek God. Can we do that this morning? Can you just have a moment where you seek the will of God over your life? And don't ask him this morning, God, take me out. I want you to ask for wisdom. I want you to ask to be guided by the Holy Spirit so that the promise would be fulfilled through your obedience to the process. Come forward, church. Come on. Come on. We're going to worship this morning. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at My Numa Church. Thanks again and God bless.